Uh, it seems like every Christmas I come across a familiar phrase that kind of jumps off the page again. Uh, something from a Christmas carol, something from the Bible. There, there's always a phrase uh, that, that hits me early in the Christmas season and it becomes kind of my Christmas season motto. And so for 2020, my Christmas motto is this. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. You think we have a weary world these days, folks? Yeah, 2020 has made us all pretty weary. But our weary world can rejoice because we've received a thrill of hope. And that hope is Jesus. He gives hope to our lives. And one day those hopes will be realized when we're together in heaven. But until then, we keep hoping, we keep trusting, we keep living, we keep experiencing the joy, the peace, the love, the grace, all those wonderful things of life that he sends our way. And we can, we can rejoice in, the spite, in spite of the weariness that we may experience. Well, I love to study the characters of Christmas, and there are many, many characters of Christmas. In fact, there's a cast of thousands. You say, no, wait a minute, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, wise men, shepherd. Oh, but there's a cast of thousands. The angels, right? A multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. I don't think they sang it in Latin. I don't know what language they sang it in, but they lit up the sky that night. And we have a cast of thousands uh, among the characters of Christmas. The leading roles, of course, are played by Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And isn't it interesting that the star of the show has no speaking lines? Think about that. Mary and Joseph have speaking lines, but baby Jesus, the one we worship, doesn't say a word, the whole story. What's up with that? Seems like God could have miraculously let the baby say, thank you to the wise men. Well, the one song does say, then he smiled at me, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. And if you've ever had a baby that was a few hours, you know the only reason they smile is because they have gas, right? So, Jesus, the star of the show, has no speaking lines, but He's joined in the leading roles by his parents, Mary and Joseph. Then there are the supporting cast members like shepherds, wise men or magi, angels, and even King Herod. Yeah, he has a supporting role in this. He's the dastardly villain of the story, right? And then there's some more obscure but still important characters like Zachariah and Elizabeth. And some of you may even say, who? Not so sure I know who that is. What about Simeon and Anna? Are you familiar with them? They're supporting characters in this story as well. And there's at least one character in the Christmas story that's not even mentioned in the Bible, but we put him in there anyway. The innkeeper. Did you know the Bible never says there was an innkeeper? It just says there was no room in the inn. So we assume somebody called an innkeeper had to tell them, sorry, no room, but you can sleep in the stable. But the innkeeper is never actually mentioned in Scripture. So we have this great cast that makes up the Christmas story. And all of the details of the birth of Jesus the Messiah can be found in the first two chapters of Matthew and the first two chapters of Luke. And not even the full 
four chapters. Parts of four chapters give us the entire Christmas story that we know. That's really not very much when you think of who Jesus is and how significant the birth of Jesus is because we're talking about, folks, God becoming man. This is not just any old birth. (laughs) This is not just any old birth in a stable. This is not just any old birth with wise men and shepherds in a stable. This is God becoming flesh. We call that the incarnation. God becoming flesh. God the Son, we call him Jesus, leaving the splendor of heaven, stepping down from his throne, seated next to God the Father, and leaving all of that and coming to earth for approximately 33 years to live among us, to live like us, to experience life like we experience in the human flesh, fully God, fully man, Jesus becoming one of us. This is a life-changing story, but we only find it in parts of four chapters of the Bible. This morning, I want to focus on a very important group in the supporting cast, the angels. Now, there's no doubt that angels must be awesome beings. They're mentioned at least 250 times in the Scripture. Most of the time, their presence strikes fear and wonder on those to whom they appear. We see angels portrayed as warriors, messengers, choir members, worshipers, and faithful subjects of God. Now, angels are not eternal beings in the sense that they have always existed. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always existed and will always exist. They are eternal. But God created angels just like he created mankind or human beings. So we're not eternal. We don't go back into eternity in the beginning because God never had a beginning. Can you wrap your little old human mind around that? I can't. No beginning? I mean, didn't God have to be made? Didn't God just appear? What happened? We don't know. But we believe God has always existed. And we believe he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even in the creation narrative, God says, let us make man in our own image. And so we refer to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, in the plural. They, the Trinity. And so They created angels, they created mankind, but the Bible doesn't tell us when angels were created. We don't know exactly where in time God created angels. Now, there's some things that we need to understand about angels. And one of my main ones, I'm kind of on a crusade for this, people who die, even little children, do not become angels. Everybody get that? I know that kind of brings a smile to your face. Like, does anybody really believe that? Yes, there are people who believe that. Well, God needed another little angel up in heaven, and that's why your child died. Oh, don't ever say that. That is ridiculous. That's poor theology, and it's no comfort to anybody. Babies and children that pass away do not become angels. Oh, they're in the loving arms of Jesus. I believe that with all of my heart. But they don't become angels. God's not continuing to create angels. He doesn't need more. 
It's not like God wakes up one morning and says, what do I do today? I think I'll make some more angels. I don't think that's happening. Now we know that one third of the angels rebelled against God with the angel called Lucifer and they fell or were cast out of heaven. We can read that in the book of Revelation. And ever since then, Lucifer, now Satan, has been on the war path with God, that rebellious spirit. And so there's a lot about angels we don't understand, but I do want to remind you, people don't become angels. Now, it's okay to probably have an angel collection at your house or a picture of an angel, but don't make a shrine out of your angels. We don't worship angels. We worship God. Do I believe there are angels? Yes, of course I believe there are angels. What about guardian angels? Yeah. In some way, somehow, I believe God dispatches angels from time to time to intervene in human life, to interact with us. I don't know if we can see them with our eyes or hear them with our ears, but I think there are times when we know there's been some supernatural power or person at work in our lives. It could be the Holy Spirit, but it could also be an angel that God has dispatched. Now, I'm not going to get all weird on you and, and all of that, but I want to tell you a story that I just heard this week. Becky and I were visiting one of the dear saints of our church. She and her husband served in pastoral ministry and missionary ministry for several decades in the United Methodist Church. She told us just this week of an experience her family had during the rainy season in Brazil. Their family of four was driving to a conference in the rain. The dirt road became increasingly wet and finally the car bogged down and became stuck in the deep mud up to the wheels. They were out in the middle of nowhere, she said. There were farm fields around us, but no buildings, no barns, no farmhouses, no village, no businesses. There was nothing. It was just pouring the rain. My husband said, you slide behind the wheel and I'll get out and push. And right when he said that, they saw three men walking across the rainy field. She remembers noting that they seemed to be larger physically than the average Brazilian man. And the husband got out of the car and in perfect English, the three men or one of them said, do you need some help? No accent, just English. And he said, I sure do. And he got back in the car and the three of them pushed him out of the mud. And when he got out of the car to thank them, they were not there. You say, do, 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 Maybe. Do you believe in things like that? I think I do. I think I think I do. You've probably had an experience like that or know someone who has. So how do we explain it? I think I explain it as a loving God who knows what's going on in our lives and knows how and when to help us. As I said, we don't worship angels. We don't depend on them to meet our needs or help us out in every emergency. But we trust God and ask him to help us. And if he wants to dispatch an angel or two to come to our assistance, I guess that's okay with me. How about you? But angels, they're very involved in the Christmas story. And they show up at least four times in the Christmas narrative in Luke chapters 1 and 2 and 
and Matthew chapters 1 and 2, the first time they show up, we'll call the angel and the doubting old man. Now, some of you old men are saying, that's not a very nice way to put it, Pastor Mike. Well, since I am an old man, I can say that. The angel and the doubting old man. Let's read the scripture and see what it says from Luke chapter 1. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. This is a man named Zechariah, by the way, who is a priest. And it's his turn to not only go into the temple, but to go into the holy of holies which was an awesome place that very few men were allowed. In fact, it was so awesome and they had to do everything so correctly that they would tie a cord around the priest's ankle because if he did anything that might cause his sudden death, if he defiled the temple or, or did anything out of order, he could be struck dead with his awesome responsibilities. He had little bells on his belt so that they could hear he was still moving around in there. And if they didn't hear the bells for very long, they would pull the cord and drag the guy out. Now, did that ever happen? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, at least uh, in our story today, if any priests were struck dead. We know that a couple of guys were struck dead when they tried to steady the Ark of the Covenant. Remember that story? It's kind of like God said, I can take care of my own business. You don't have to help me out. And those men who thought they were doing a good deed by steadying the Ark of the Covenant. They thought it was going to fall. When they touched it, they were struck dead. So there is some awesomeness and holiness about God that we need to respect. And so Zechariah is doing his priestly duties in the Holy of Holies, and he saw an angel. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Now think about that. He's in church doing one of the most holy things possible in the service of God. And he's scared to death when an angel shows up. Like I said, they must be awesome beings. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now let me just hop in right here with a little personal commentary. The Bible says Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. Why are they still praying for a son? <laughs> Seems like you would reach a point, kind of like, you know, Abraham and Sarah did the same thing in the Old Testament. They still wanted a son, even though I think when Isaac was born, she was 90 and he was 100. It seems like at some point you stop praying for a child and say, okay, we couldn't handle this child if we had one. I mean, we're 80 or 90 years old. We don't need a baby. That's, but if we had had children, then we could have great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But anyway, look though, this makes it all worthwhile. He will be a joy and a delight to you. How many would like to have kids like that? Yeah. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. Amen. And... He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Think of that. Were any of your children filled with the Holy Spirit before? You're saying, no, they still aren't either. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. 
Think of that. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is very well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. That's quite a story. And some people wonder, where do Zechariah and Elizabeth fit into this story anyway? What's so important about them? How are they connected? Oh, there's a connection. You got to love God's connections. Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of Jesus, are relatives, like first or second cousins. They know each other. They're family. And Zechariah and Elizabeth have a son that they named John, middle name The, last name Baptist. You've heard of him, haven't you? John the Baptist, whose message was, prepare the way of the Lord. Whose message was, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Whose message was, I baptize you in the name of the Father. <laughs> And in your own name, the Son and the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. The angel speaks or has a message for the doubting old man. <laughs> Zechariah heard the message of God through the angel Gabriel and doubted. Now, as I tell you about these encounters, I want you to put yourself in the place of the character. In this case, Zechariah. Have you ever heard a message from God and doubted? Have you ever heard a preacher preach the word or a Sunday school teacher teach the word or a Bible study group discuss the word or you read it for yourself or you have the deep impression of the Holy Spirit and you say, oh, that'll never happen. I could never do that. Maybe that was good back then but I doubt if that could happen today. Have you ever been in Zachariah's place? I'm too old for that. I'm not smart enough for that. I don't have enough money for that. I don't have enough strength. I don't have the ability. I don't have the smarts. You doubted. You heard the message, but you doubted. And you might say, well, if an angel told me I wouldn't doubt. Oh, yes, you would. You're human, just like Zachariah. He doubted. He received the message and he doubted. But eventually, probably especially after he realized he couldn't speak out loud, he submitted to God's plan and God was faithful to do his part and the promise came to pass and Zechariah and Elizabeth got their miracle. He doubted, but he submitted. See, that was the key. And he got his miracle. Okay, encounter number two, the angel and the submissive young lady. Duh, we all know who that is, right? In the Christmas story, the submissive young lady. Let's read about her. Also in Luke chapter one. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, see there it is. 
We're going back to Elizabeth and Zachariah. She's been pregnant now for six months. And think of this, ladies. She hasn't heard a sound from her husband in six months. He hasn't complained about the food. He hasn't complained about how well she keeps house. Six months of silence. Well, I know how much I would enjoy that if it was the other way around. (laughs) But in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this happens. God sent the angel Gabriel, oh, here's Gabriel again, to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Oh, that's why it says being of the house of David, going back to Bethlehem for the census later on. He was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the Power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Talk about miracles. If an old lady can have a baby, why can't a virgin have a baby, right? And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Everybody read that together. For no word from God will ever fail. One more time. For no word from God will ever fail. Some of you have children in Sunday school or children's church right now learning memory verses. I'm sure you can learn that one one more time. For no word from God will ever fail. Luke chapter 1. We don't know what verse, right? I forgot to, to make note of that. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, not my will, but your will. Hmm, wonder where Jesus learned to pray that prayer. Then the angel left her. What a story. The angel and the submissive young lady. Again, the messenger of the Lord is identified as Gabriel. And he has an earth-shattering, think about it, an earth-shattering life changing word for a virgin maiden. She's confused, but not skeptical. She's puzzled, but she doesn't doubt. She feels unworthy, but she's obedient. Mary heard the message of God through the angel Gabriel and submitted. God's plan was fulfilled, and the world received the greatest miracle of all time. God became man And lived among us. He came. He died. He rose again. And he's coming again. And much of that happened because a submissive young lady was willing to do God's plan. 
Well, our third angel encounter involves a confused fiancé. The angel and the confused fiancé. This one's found in Matthew chapter 1. If you can get through all the begats or skip over them, Matthew 1 starts with, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so all the way down. Then you finally get to this story, the story of Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let me jump in right here and tell you. We're talking scandal here, folks. Scandal. We read this nice little story and say, oh, isn't that sweet how all that worked out? This was scandalous. Joseph, an established businessman in his village, a carpenter, is engaged to probably a woman who's a little younger or maybe much younger than him. And she turns up pregnant. He knows he's not responsible. But everybody else knows nothing. They just know that she started showing and that something is very suspicious around here. Are they sleeping together already even though they're not officially married yet? Or has she been fooling around? Joseph, what kind of woman are you engaged to anyway? I wonder how it affected his business. I wonder how it affected their social status in their little town. This was scandal, folks. This was a big deal. No wonder Mary and her parents came up with the idea of sending her to visit cousin Elizabeth. That was her crisis pregnancy center, right? This was a crisis pregnancy. And so she goes to visit Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant, and she helps Elizabeth through the last trimester of her pregnancy. After all, that's an at-risk pregnancy, right? The lady is well past childbearing age. And Mary helps cousin Elizabeth with her pregnancy and delivery, we think, before she came home. So now she comes home three or four months pregnant, and the talk begins. Joseph, being a righteous man, that means he followed the law. What did the law say? Well, you can disgrace her publicly, and if the elders decide, we can stone her to death. She's immoral. She's committed sin. It's obvious. She's not married to you. She's had sex before marriage. That's punishable by death. Wow. And so, Joseph... Loving God so much and loving Mary so much decides to just quietly terminate this engagement, this betrothal. But the angel appears to him and says, in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. I'm so glad the angel told both of them to give him the name Jesus so they didn't have to get out the little books and uh, get online and see what all these names mean and, and fight. Okay, I like that name, but that's got to be a middle name, not a first name, you know, that kind of. Well, what about my family? What about my great-grandmother? I wanted to name the baby. So Jesus, Mary, 
call him Jesus. Joseph, call him Jesus. And here's what Jesus means, Savior. He will save his people from their sins. Wow, what a great name. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. The confused fiance. He did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son. And they gave him the name Jesus. Of all the angel encounters in the Bible, not just in the Christmas story, but of all the angel encounters in the Bible, this may be the one that required the most faith. Think about that. Put yourself in Joseph's place. The amount of faith he had to have was just above and beyond. It doesn't even say that Joseph was afraid or in fear when he saw the heavenly messenger. Now, maybe that's because he heard his message in a dream. You ever had one of those dreams that's kind of scary, but somehow during the dream, you know you're dreaming? And it's like, oh, I'll wake up. This isn't real. And then you do, you wake up. So maybe Joseph wasn't afraid of the angel because he thought, this is a dream. Why should I be afraid of an angel? He can't hurt me in my sleep. But also, maybe he wasn't surprised that an angel was sent to him because he knew Mary's story and explanation so well and figured, I must be next in line for a visit from the angel. If he's going to tell her, surely he's going to tell me. Whatever the dynamics at work here, Joseph heard the message of God through the angel and trusted And because he willingly participated in this miracle story, the Christ child had a committed home in which to grow up. Are you putting yourself in the place of the Bible character? The doubting old man? The submissive young lady? The confused fiance? When God's message comes through, even though he comes through loud and clear, often the message can be confusing. Often the message can seem to us impossible. But we serve a God who's able to do what is impossible. Praise his name. Well, the fourth encounter is the angels and the scared but joyous shepherds. Scared but joyous. Most of us know this pretty much word for word. So how many of you, I've got the King James Version up here, which is the way many of us memorize it. How many of you can quote it Without looking, you can look up there every once in a while because I'll have to, all right? Say it out loud with me. Here we go. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, what? The angels were up high, but it says, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, everybody, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. 
And it came to pass, this is the part we don't know very well. And it came to pass, as the shepherds were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they did. They went. That's where we're stopping, though. Of all the possible audiences and all the possible venues and all the possible media to be involved in the birth announcement of God's son. God chooses vagabond shepherds on a dark, lonely hillside surrounded by a flock of sheep and an angel choir. Come on, God, you can do better than that, can't you? I mean... Look at our modern movies, these epics that we come up with, and all the sound effects and special effects and, and all the, the majesty and celestial... Well, God knew what he was doing because he invited the lowly shepherds. You say, why they got to be lowly? Because in some ways, they were the outcasts of society. Some people believe that those very shepherds that one of their, their major uh, points of business was raising sheep that they could then sell as sacrificial animals at the temple. Now, if you throw that in there, which the Bible doesn't say that, but if you want to throw in that extra element, that even makes the story to me mo even more intriguing. That the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world... The, the sacrificial lamb, Jesus himself, who died on the cross, whose blood was spilled out. He was worshipped by the very men who raised the lambs who were sacrificed in the temple. And those lambs are no longer needed, folks. We don't have to make sacrifices in temples. No more animals have to die because Jesus laid down his life for us. Praise his name. The lamb that takes away the sins of the world. But I think what God was saying is this message is for everybody. There are going to be kings, wise men, astrologers, astronomers, whatever you want to call them. There are going to be kings from the upper echelon of society. And there are going to be shepherds who are poor and somewhat outcast. And they're all welcome at the birth of Jesus. They're all welcome at the feet of Jesus. And everyone in between, from the lowest to the highest, we're all welcome. We're all invited. We've all received the message to come and worship the newborn king. It's a great story, isn't it? In fact, it's the greatest story ever told. The shepherds heard the message of God through the angels. Once they got over their fear, they rejoiced. They rejoiced. They couldn't contain their joy. They were startled, maybe even scared for their lives. But they received the message, they believed the message, and they acted on it so that they were part of the celebration of the joyous gift of God's Messiah. So what does all this have to do with you and me nearing the end of 2020? A year we will never forget. First of all, God still speaks. He doesn't always speak out loud. In fact, 
Seldom does he speak in an audible voice. But God is still speaking. He speaks through his word, which is sharp, active. It's, uh, it's still true today, still relevant to our lives. He speaks through his word when we spend time in it. He speaks to us through prayer when we have conversation with him. He speaks through his messengers that preach the word and teach the word. He speaks through his still small voice in our hearts. God is still speaking and he has a message, maybe even multiple messages, maybe even multiple mysterious messages for every one of us, for you and for me. Are you expecting? Are you listening? Are you ready to say yes with a capital Y, a capital E, a capital S, and an explanation point? Are you ready and willing to say yes when he speaks to you? Yes, Lord, yes. Now you realize, don't you, that it's impossible to hear a message from God and say, no, Lord. You say, well, what do you mean it's impossible? I still have free will. I can tell God no anytime I want. You can say no, but you can't say no, Lord. Do you get it? If he's Lord, if he's Lord of your life, you can't say no to it. Because in the very act of saying no, you depose him from being Lord. You move him off the throne of your life. He's no longer Lord if you tell him no. You become Lord of your life. Other things become Lord of your life. Other stuff become priority. You can't say, no, Lord. When he speaks, you either say, no, or you say, yes, Lord, yes. With a capital Y, a capital E, a capital S, and an exclamation point. Are you ready to receive your miracle? Don't doubt. Trust. Has God ever failed you yet? He's not about to. So trust him. Don't ignore, respond. Someone has said that delayed, ob delayed obedience is simply disobedience. We say, well, I'll get to that later, Lord. Maybe when the kids grow up or maybe when I have more money in, in my account or maybe when I finish college. or I'll get around to that, Lord. I'm not telling you no. I I'm just saying Wait. Could it be that delayed obedience is disobedience? Don't ignore, respond. God has a way. If he's asking you to do something, he'll provide the ability and the resources. Don't ask how or why. Don't delay. Don't wait for a full explanation. Simply obey. Yes, Lord, yes. And the truth is that God loved you and me so much that he gave his only son so that if we believe in him as the Savior, our Savior, my Savior, we will have eternal life. And that's what we celebrate every time we come to the communion event. We're invited to his table. We don't have a table today, but we have kneeling benches that we call altars. We have steps. We have a front row. You're welcome to come today with your gifts of communion and receive it right here at the front. 
you're welcome to come forward and pray about any issue in your life that's causing you concern. Maybe through this message today or through the time of musical worship or maybe in the events of this week, you've seen some areas of your life that you need to submit or resubmit to the Lord. This would be a great time to start that journey of saying, yes, Lord, yes.